All right, so if you have a Bible, I want you to join me uh, by looking at Psalm 122. We're in a, a little bit of a summer, uh, summer in the Psalms a little bit here over the next few weeks. And uh, we just began a new study through this. We finished Colossians recently and started looking at the Song of Ascents. This is a collection of Psalms in, in this book. So if you, I mean, just give you a little picture of the Psalms in general. Psalms are written by a lot of different people. Uh, David has written several of them, Solomon, even Abraham some, and a lot, there's Asaph and others, and there's some that are just unknown. We don't know who some of the authors are. As we look at this one specifically, it tells us the Song of Ascents of David. Um, and, and so we'll, every once in a while you'll get a, a clue. Okay, this is of David. Earlier when we read Psalm 51, we found out even the setting of why it was written. And it was written of David as well in a confessional psalm. But these Song of Ascents were because God had said, Here, there's these three different annual feasts that the people of God were going to pilgrimage to and come to Jerusalem to offer up their praise, to offer up their first fruits, uh, to repent of sin, and they, they, would, they would look at a Passover and celebrate that together, and so they would come and all from all walks of life gather together in Jerusalem. And so uh, starting in Psalm 120 all the way to Psalm 134 are these songs. So for one, the Psalms are like songs, and so it's a song that the pilgrims, the people of God, would sing as they're journeying to Jerusalem. As they're going to Jerusalem, they would sing these songs and different ones that were written. And in Psalm 120 is where it begins. We didn't look at that one in our first week, but in that one, they're basically, they're starting in a, in a, as sojourners. They're in a foreign land, and they're longing for to be with God or in His presence. And so last week, we started with Psalm 121, looking at the journey. That the, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So as the journey is going, they're looking, where's my help going to come from? And they would sing this song to one another to encourage each other. And today, as we open up into Psalm 122, what we see is they have come to Jerusalem. They've come to gather for the, the feast, the, the three different annual feasts. And they've gathered together here to worship God. And so I want us to read this psalm together. We're going to read it all the way through. It's just a, sh a few verses here. It's only nine verses. And, uh, and then we're just going to talk about it and learn a little bit uh, from it this morning. And so let's look at God's word with me. Psalm 122. The psalmist here, it tells us it's of David, says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel. Again, that's that decree of their, the tribes, the people from all the different lands, the people of God, are coming those three times a year to Jerusalem. And they're gathering all these tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, as God had commanded them to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There, thrones for judgment were set. The thrones of the house of David, this kingdom that was established with David. And he says in verse 6, then it shifts to a prayer, and he says, pray. This is, again, David writing. He says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. This is 
God's word, and it's a psalm of David. As he opens up this psalm, look at it again in verse, 20, verse 1 of chapter 20, 122. He says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I think that's one thing that so many people are missing in life. Joy, gladness, rejoicing. I mean, we've, we've, we sing praise songs and we're, we're singing them as like a praise to God. We're praising you. We're joyful like you have done something in my heart. And so it comes out of me. In the Psalms, in Psalm, in Psalm 16, uh, 11, we get this, this phrase. We get, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. But here, what is, exactly is that? And I think more importantly, how do we experience this kind of joy or this kind of gladness? Because I think in so many people, it's kind of the drudgery of life. We go through every day and we have difficulty and trial. I mean, I was stand, you know, standing in a hospital room in an ICU unit yesterday, and, and, and when, when you're there, you're like, and you're just watching nurses, and you see people, and you enter, or even if you're just walking down the hall, and you interact with people, what do you see most people's faces? The, the most people's faces don't seem very joyful. There's not much joy going on, like usually, especially in a hospital, of course. I mean, there probably isn't going to be joy. It's not like, man, I love being at the hospital. It's one of my, I hate going to the hospital. Um, it's not one of my favorite things to do because you're just around a lot. It's like, it's like you want to avoid those kind of thoughts, right? I mean, we try to avoid those kind of thoughts. There's, you know, we won't want to think about death. We don't want to think about sickness. We don't want to think about harm and, 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 and how relationships have caused disunity. And we, and we want to just ignore those things. But so many people are just not joyful. They don't know how, what, even what it means to experience joy. They don't know even what that looks like. Or what does it actually mean to experience joy? And the psalmist is saying in Psalm 16, 11, in your presence there's fullness of joy. Like joy that overflows. Like it's not just, man, I'm joyful. It's a joy that like overflows from him. And he's and like, I think for most of us, we're like, that sounds great. I would love to have that. But like, how do you get it? Like, how do you experience a fullness of joy? I mean, have you ever experienced that before? Maybe if you, if you love God and you've walked with God maybe for some time, have you ever had overflowing joy? Maybe it caused you to shout. Like, I know I've, I've found myself sometimes, you know, you're just, you're maybe riding your car and maybe you're listening to music or something or you just were contemplating or maybe you were in your devotions and you're reading scripture and then there's just this verse that just stands out about God's goodness to you. And you're just blown away by how good God could be because you maybe have a thought of like, man, I'm a failure. Like I fall short. And yet here it's telling me God loves me and that moves you. What does it do? It moves us sometimes to shout. It might lead us, but oftentimes, here's what it does, at least for me, is it leads me to song. Like it lead, it's like, it's all of a sudden like I need to sing God's praises because of what he's done for me. This isn't just something that's just random. This is scripture in Psalm, uh, or in Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. Uh, you know, he, he says this, Paul says, he says, don't be drunk with wine where it is in excess, but be filled with the spirit. And then he says what? Doing what? Singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs. You're singing these songs with melody in your heart as to the Lord. It comes from this joy, and it comes, and it overflows, and it leads to song. Another way that we experience the fullness of, God, of, of joy in God's presence is when your joy is so full, it rises above other competing emotions. 
right? Like, like the other night, I had a little bit of an emotional moment of anger <laughs> because just a lot of, of, it was a series of bad events happened in my life in just a short amount of time. And when you look back at it, you're like, man, Eric, why were you even upset about this? Such, such silly things. It's earthly things. It's a tire, but it's like, man, these are brand new tires. You know how it goes, right? You buy new tires, inevitably those tires will get a hole in it somehow you're like it's literally like a month old and then boom you pull over for a reason i'll keep to myself uh, because i was upset at some people in our car and uh not amanda and so pull over um and pull over to the side and guess what i pull over to the side and run over something that's stuck i mean i can hear it i'm like a thousand feet from my house i'm like i've only pulled over for the purpose and so you can see i'm already getting angry again see it's good (laughs) but what happens with joy is joy Joy, so you have these competing emotions. Maybe, maybe there's anger there. Maybe there's frustration. Maybe there's uh, different types of emotions going on in your heart. But joy is something that you experience when joy is so full. This fullness of joy is when it rises above all the way over competing emotions. You might be saying, what does that exactly mean? Well, in 2 Corinthians 8, one of, my, one of, the, cool, one of the neatest short little stories there is in the, in the New Testament here, and it tells us in 2 Corinthians 8, actually, I just want to read it to get it exactly right. So in 2 Corinthians 8, um, this church in Macedonia, I mean, it's, it's really inc- incredible. I would encourage you to look at it as well, but in 2 Corinthians, so in the New Testament, uh, and then verse 8, or chapter 8, and then verse 2, it says this, listen to what it says about this church. I mean, this is the church, the churches of, multiple churches of Macedonia. It says this, for in a severe test of affliction, all right, that's going to bring natural emotion. You have been, you're going through trial, affliction, pain. You have the pain, the emotional hurt, the affliction. Notice what it says here. Their abundance of joy. Now, this is such a weird line. Look at this line. It says their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty. You're like, why are you connecting joy and experience uh, or your extreme poverty together? And notice what it says. It says, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, notice what it did. It has overflowed in, notice this, a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. You see, this overflowing of joy and gratitude for who God is and what he has done leads to, and it's competing against even a severe affliction so that it's overflowing, and it actually leads to generosity to others. It leads to a great love for people around. And this is, this is the kind of joy that I would say most of us would be like, man, I'd love to have that. Like, I want that. I just don't have it. <laughs> I don't experience this kind of joy. I, I experience this, the affliction, and it's like, Man, that's frustrating. And I'm not thinking like, man, God, you've been so good to me. No, it seems like you've been terrible to me sometimes. Here he's saying this is the experience of a fullness of joy. And notice what the psalmist is saying. And this is in your outline that you have in front of you, hopefully. Um, And we're just going to look at really these things that we see from the psalmist's joy and where he gets this joy uh, and notice it first is this, this joy that the psalmist experienced, begin, it is being ultimately in the presence of God. Joy is found in his presence. This is what the psalmist was saying, and I was reading earlier in Psalm 16. 
in your presence there is fullness of joy. Now notice it from our passage though in Psalm 122. I was glad, this is the joy aspect, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. When he got the invitation, like, all right, it's time to go back to Jerusalem. And he says this, let us go to the house of the Lord. In the house of the Lord. Now, how many of you, um, maybe, maybe you, you what, is, what, what happened emotionally for you? Maybe, maybe it's terrible emotions, I don't know. But like when you get to go back to where you grew up to, from, where, where you, when you get to go back home and you've been driving on the road, maybe for some of you it's a long time or maybe you have to get on a plane and you're flying across, across America or something or you're driving home. For me, it's about four hours away up in Charlotte. And when you, when you get to that area and you start to see the cityscape, you're like, I'm close. And you can't wait to get, like, this is my hometown. This is my town. Like, this is where I caused a lot of trouble, probably, for some people and different things. But, like, there's something, there's excitement about coming home or going somewhere. I know for me growing up as well, and as I was uh, dating Amanda and as we um, were engaged and I was so excited to get to, to marry her, I remember when I would make the trip down from, uh, from Charlotte down to Atlanta, and I would be driving down the road, and it's like, as you get to Atlanta, you're not really exciting. <laughs> it's not very exciting. You're like, more traffic. Awesome. It's like, man, these are a bunch of lanes. I cannot believe, I mean, how many lanes are there? I don't even know if I can see on the other side of the interstate how many lanes there are. And you're driving into Atlanta. And so for me, it's like, it's neat. I mean, I, was a, I grew up an Atlanta Braves fan. I love the Atlanta Braves. I've, I mean, my, my dad, his, a lot of his family is from the Atlanta area. I visited a few of those cemeteries and different things when we were a kid. We one of those great vacations, visiting cemeteries, because my dad loves uh, genealogy and all those things. And so, like, we have family here, and so it was, a big, it was a big deal to come here. But, like, I'm not excited about Atlanta itself. It was Amanda was in Atlanta. Like, like, that's what I cared about. I was like, let me find the one I want to marry that I'm promised to marry to. I can't wait to get to see her. And see here, it's not just Jerusalem that the psalmist is excited about. He says, it's the house of the Lord. You see, and I, to understand this, you need to understand a little bit of Israelite history. You know, the, the, the psalmist is glad and he's excited and rejoicing that at the thought of going to Jerusalem. And he's so joyful because ultimately the thought of Jerusalem is great, but it's because this is where the presence of God was manifest to the people of God. He was making this his dwelling among the people. His presence, his manifest presence was with the people. David, for instance, David, as we're reading this psalmist, David's desire and his ability was to set this up, and he did. He set up Jerusalem. He had conquered the Jebusites and it became the hub. He established it, his throne there. He established the, the, the religion of the Jews to be this, to be the hub religiously for the festivals to come to. Uh, his desire was to build the temple. Um, he wasn't able to build the temple, but guess what? His, his son, Solomon, was able to establish the temple where the people would gather for these feasts and come and celebrate in joyful praise and thanksgiving to God. And so uh, the psalmist had, uh, and David here has saying, man, I, my joy is found in his presence. Because God is there, I want to be there. And I long to be in his presence. I like how John Goldingay says this. He says, the basis for rejoicing is indeed that it means not merely a visit to the big city, but a visit to the house where Yahweh lives. The psalmist's joy is rooted in that God's presence is there. And that is where you and I can experience fullness 
of joy in his presence. You can try to find joy in things, right? You can try to have a night, like, you know, I watched a video recently of the stages of owning a boat. <laughs> and, and it's like, reminder, don't buy a boat, Eric, <laughs> right? It's like, man, you get excited, like, oh, man, the thought, let's do this on the weekends and all this stuff. And then you, you watch, but what happens, right? Anything. This can be a cell phone. This can be sometimes, sadly, even in relationships, those things like that. You can think, oh, man, this is going to bring me satisfaction. Maybe even having kids is going to bring me satisfaction. I'm going to have a child, and it's going to be he's so cute, and it's going to love me so much. And then they turn to be a teenager, and then they turn their back on you for a little bit, you know? Like, but, like, you think, oh, this is going to give me joy. This is going to give me satisfaction. These things won't satisfy. They might for a temporary bit. You might enjoy a good movie, a good steak. Like, but guess what happens? You get hungry again. You want to go to the movies again to see a different movie. You see... Ultimately, though, the fullness of joy, and for the psalmist, his joy is found in being in the presence of God. And that happens, and for the psalmist, it happens in Jerusalem. The cool thing is, we're going to see in a little bit, for us today, we don't, it's not like we need to go to Jerusalem to experience that. Actually, God became man and dwelt among us, and we have beheld his glory. And then guess what the Bible tells us, is that if we confess Christ as our Savior and Lord, he comes and actually indwells in us the presence of God actually in man. Think about how much that should lead us to joy. Why would God want to be in this filthy mess of a person? But yet he comes and he starts cleaning it out a little bit. He changes us right away, becoming his child. And then he's kind of cleaning us up a little bit. We're becoming more and more like him so that we can actually experience this kind of joy. So the psalmist not only is finding his joy and being in the presence of God, he also is finding it in, and this is your next point here, gathering with the people of God in the worship of God. Gathering with the people of God in the worship of God. Look at verse three and four. So here he's talking about Jerusalem. Again, this is where the presence of God was made manifest to the Israelites. So in Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, the idea even here is like of protection. It's like a refuge. It's a protection for the people. But guess what? I mean, if you know anything about Israel, is it has constantly been under attack. It has constantly been even destroyed. Like if you were to go to Jerusalem today, you're not going to see the temple. The temple isn't there. Actually, you're going to see uh, the Dome of the Rock sitting on top of it, which is a Muslim mosque. No, I mean, like this, this, this Jerusalem, it might have security, in the, and it was built in that way to be a safe place for the people of God to be. And it says, Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together. The, the, the tightness, the unity, the coming together. And notice what he says here. To which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel. So the people, the, all the, okay, so to give you a little quick history again, the people of God were about into about 12 tribes. And these 12 tribes were different clans that had grown in these big family that come back from all the way go back in Israel's history in Genesis. And you can see as, uh, as the sons were born and all these different sons have names and like, like Judah and Benjamin and these different, and they became a tribe. And that family had territory surrounding this area we now call Israel. And in that, all these different tribes, they were distinct. They were unique. Sometimes they warred against each other. There were civil wars. There was two kingdoms for a bit. Um, there was Israel and Judah, and there was the, all these different fightings and different things. And eventually, after even David was king, there became his sons, it became a mess, and then it just continued to be a big mess. 
And, but then the promise was that through the line of David, there would be a king who was going to be really the savior of the world. The Messiah was going to come from David. And you're looking at the history of David and his family, and you're like, I don't know how in the world is there ever going to be a savior from this family? Because it became a mess. And here, though, this collection of people, different walks of life, different socioeconomic situations, they all gather together in Jerusalem for these feasts from different, maybe even sometimes different languages. And they're gathering together to observe and, and ultimately, notice what he says here, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. End of verse 4, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. You see, the psalmist, it brings him joy in the gathering of the people. Ultimately, notice this, for the worship of God. Like, the reason the, 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 the people of Israel would gather was to praise him, to give thanks, to offer their sacrifices of praise, to offer their, their uh, a, a first fruits of what God has blessed them with, and they would offer these things to God in thanksgiving to, notice this, it was central. Worship was central, and the centrality of worship was God himself. Again, the presence of God was there. They're coming to worship the God who was there. I mean, how many times can we get so distracted by, by the other things in church? You know, we can focus on, man, I just love the community. And community is important. We see it in the scriptures. We see the aspect of loving one another. We see, man, fellowshipping, having fun together. Like, we're going to do this this Friday, gather together at the Aldridge's house and have some fun together. I mean, that, that is good, and it's, it's healthy. But ultimately, we gather consistently on the Lord's Day today to worship the living, true God. Like, we come for that purpose, and ultimately that purpose alone. We gather together, and think of it this way. Think of it as like, man, you've had a hard week. It's just, you know, one thing after the other. The kids, the, maybe your wife or your spouse, like your husband, and, and maybe there's been just conflict, or maybe just work has just been so hard, and you're exhausted, and you're tired, and you're weary, and yet here the psalmist is saying, man, I I long to gather with the people of God for the worship of God. There's something about the gathering of God's people. For us, so when we were in Charlotte, North Carolina, um, I'm not sure where it was for the different churches that maybe you attend, uh, but in Charlotte, we were a very large church, and it was kind of prominent in our, uh, our city. And in Charlotte, we had a Democratic governor that was very strict on, um, on local gatherings and all those things, and we were trying to follow those as best as we could. Um, and all those things. And so for a good period of time, we didn't meet in person. Um, we were all just online. And so I'm a, I was a pastor there. I was a high school pastor there. And um, it was a church of like probably 3,000 or so. And we just weren't allowed to gather. Like, and so we, we, had a, we already had live streaming those things kind of up. So we were able to do those things. And, uh, but there was something like, it was just like something was missing. It's like, oh, I can watch. And I was like, man, I enjoy my pastor. I, I I was, he was a gifted communicator and teacher of God's word, and I was much I could learn from it. I enjoyed our worship, and I could sing at home with our kids, you know, kind of on the couch and all those things, but it just wasn't the same. And I remember when we first got to gather, gather back together for the first time, it was like, man, I took this for granted. I don't know if that was anyone else's experience that maybe attend church. It's like, man, I was just taking the gathering of God's people for granted. The importance of collectively worshiping God so that when you sing, you can help the person next to you sing. You know, I, I mean, I, growing up and then also being a high school pastor, it's like I, I used to lead worship some too when I was younger and all those things. And 
so thankful for Blake and others who do that. That's not what I want to do. <laughs> uh, and so, um, and, but I get to watch, and you know what I get to see oftentimes? is like men or these young teenagers, they just stand there, won't sing, like just won't do it. And you're like, and so like for me, I grew up singing. My dad sings, he hums, and all those things. And so now naturally, if you've ever been with me on an elevator, you'll notice I hum. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I get this awkward hum going. It's like, I can't help it. And so, or if I'm in the car, I'm probably going to be singing or something or in the shower, those kind of things. And, <clears throat> and so, um, I, like, I, I think there's this aspect that we, we miss in worship. And so, and then some people will just sit there and it's like, I mean, maybe you're thinking about the words, but, but naturally, like, it should be overflowing when it comes out of your mouth. Man, God has been good. So when I'm singing, like, there's 10,000 reasons for my heart to find, like, I can't think of enough, I mean, there's too many different things I could mention of how good God is and who he is and what he's done. There's so many reasons about him. So it should lead us to sing. But for some reason, it's like, especially men, it's like, maybe we're, maybe we're too cool to sing. I don't know. I'm not sure what it is. But I, the idea of we gather together to sing in the gathering of God's people and ultimately to sit under the teaching of God's word, the people of God. I mean, think about this in, in Nehemiah and Ezra. And I don't want to go into a long history lesson here. We're going to get way out of time. But in, 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 in Nehemiah and Ezra, this is post-exile. So they have been exiled. So what happens is that the temple's destroyed. The, the people of God are scattered because they were overtaken by an enemy nation. They had stopped following God and had been destroyed. And they had not had the scrolls, God's word to read. They hadn't had the law to read. And then someone finds the scrolls. And you know what they did? The people of God gathered together and they stood and they listened all day long as they stood behind a podium and read God's word. And they all were in agreement. And the priest would explaining God's word to the people. You see, this is so important. This is why we gather. We gather to worship God and to learn who he is. Why we even look at scripture is to say, who is this God? that changes everything about me. We want to know him more. We want to know what he's like. We want to know his heart so that we can pursue his heart. And so we gather with the people of God in the worship of God. And this leads to the psalmist's joy. Not only does, is, is finding joy in the presence of God and gathering with the people of God in the worship of God, but also in this, there's this sense of joy and longing for the kingdom of God. A sense of joy and longing for the kingdom of God. Notice this, and a lot of this psalm even is giving us hints and pictures of a future beyond just the present of Jerusalem, a spiritual Jerusalem. And notice what he says. He says, to which the tribes go up again. The people are gathering in verse four, uh, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. So they're worshiping God together in Jerusalem. And then verse five, there thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. You see, there is where justice was going to reign. It was going to be not just a religious hub, it was going to be a political hub where God's justice would reign, where David would rule and give, and give decrees, and he would set God's kingdom up kind of on earth as it is in heaven. You know, you've probably heard that, right? The, the Lord's Prayer, uh, where he says, give us this day our daily bread. You know, but then he, what does he say? He says this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, we should be longing for God's kingdom, not just longing for a future kingdom where righteousness and justice dwells that you can read about in Revelation and throughout the New Testament, but also longing for it here. 
I mean, how much injustice is there in our world? We look around and it's full of injustice. There's the abuse, abuse of, of women who are in sex trafficking, who are sold as slaves. And we think, oh, that seems so far. It's right here in our cities, right around us. We think of the enslavement of, of sin and we see the effects that the porn industry has on our world and we look at all these things and how all of them are interconnected with this just evil and sin and it's broken and we see the abuse of people or we see the, the treatment of, of other races as if they're not an actual human. We think, oh, that seems so distant, like it's not here anymore. That was, that was a, few, you know, a few decades ago, not anymore. I mean, just travel around a little bit and you'll see it. I told you, I mean, I visited Haiti just a, f- a few years back and here I met a, a slave boy who's like a boy, a kid, not, a, not an adult, working for this woman. All he was was a slave. He was an orphan. Man, you see the brokenness of this world. We should, it should lead us to long for his kingdom and for righteousness to dwell. We should long to be in enacting that today, not just in the future, but ultimately the psalmist finds his joy in knowing that God's kingdom is going to be established and it's a throne for all of eternity where perfect righteousness reigns. God is a perfect, just God. He's deserving of our worship, which is our, our second point. But here, the psalmist's joy is brought because there's this longing for the kingdom of God. There's a question, are you longing for that kingdom? Are you trying to set up your own kingdom? You know how easy it is to set up our little kingdoms, right? It's like, this is my, my territory, don't mess with it. This is my stuff. These are my things. We can hoard them, hold on to them as if they're ours. We can be begrudging about it. We cannot be generous as the Gospels tell us. As second, the right in that passage we just saw of the church in Macedonia. Here they are with, with affliction. They're joyful. <laughs> they're joyfully generous. Even during the midst of a severe affliction on their part, they were joyfully willing to be generous with what they had. Because they were seeking a kingdom that was above, not their own kingdom. You see, when you seek your own kingdom, you hoard, you hold, you hold things together. And guess what that leads to? It leads to anger when that's taken from you. Instead, rather saying, man, God, this is your stuff to begin with. This is your kingdom. And let your righteousness dwell. In the church, how do we treat each other? Outside of the church, in our communities, right around us. We should long and pray, and we're going to see this in a second, but... But we should pray for our own government. We pr- should pray that, that righteousness would, would, would reign. And we wouldn't have candidates, which I know is very normal, to have candidates who just are just trying to say what one, that they think their base needs to hear. And they're just, and, but ultimately we see unrighteousness and deceit and lying and all kinds of filth happening because of money or greed or whatever. And we should be praying for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And so the, the psalmist finds joy, and his joy is rooted in a kingdom that's beyond this world, and he's longing for that to be an experience for the people of God in Jerusalem and for its city. And then he shifts to a prayer. He's longing for this kingdom, but also the psalmist is joyful, because he's, and he's praying that all will experience the peace of God, experiencing the peace of God. The psalmist finds joy in his peace that he has with God. And he is praying this psalm, in this psalm, he's praying for peace to reign, not just in Jerusalem because he loves Jerusalem. See what he says. Look at verse 6. He says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. 
For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. You see, this psalmist has already experienced it. He's already experienced the peace of having a relationship with God. He is glad to go and experience him in person, in a sense, to come and experience him in the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord, to be in his presence, that God had manifested himself. But the problem was they didn't have access to his presence. Any ordinary citizen couldn't just go and like, hey, I want to meet with God and go into in the temple, the Holy of Holies, where God's presence directly dwelt there on earth. And so they couldn't enter it because of their sin. They weren't holy. They weren't pure. They were broken. They were, they were sinful people. And they needed someone to be on their behalf, go before them. And so once a year, only once a year, that great high priest who would very much so cleanse himself. I mean, like, they would clean themselves. They had a perfectly clean clothes. They would tie something with a little bell on his ankle. And he would go into the presence of the Lord. And if his heart wasn't right with God, he could die in there. But no one could go in there because if they went in there, they would die too. So they would drag him out if he died. I mean, the seriousness of God's presence among his people and the worship of him, of offering the sacrifices that they were to bring and to shed the blood of a lamb for the forgiveness of sin for the people so they could experience peace. And they wanted peace to be in its walls, to be here. And, and the psalmist is praying for this, but he has already himself experienced what it is like to have a relationship with God and to experience peace with God. But here's the question. Are you at peace? with God. Have you experienced peace within your heart? You see, for us, this doesn't directly apply to us about um, Jerusalem and going specifically to Jerusalem to worship because there's a new covenant that was instituted in Jesus' name. When Jesus came, he came and actually the people, the people, the Israelites hate him for this. He said, like, this is going to be torn down. Like, this temple isn't going to be here anymore. But he was, and then ultimately he was talking about himself even, like this temple is going to be, is going to be put in a grave for three days, but it's going to rise again to offer peace with God, that the God of this universe whose wrath is coming on all unrighteousness and his perfect justice is going to reign, it's coming and we need the peace of God, but that peace of God only comes through relationship with Jesus Christ. And here's the question, are you experiencing peace? And I've, I've got to see that over the years of seeing people who are not at peace. I visited some people in the hospital who were, ex- I mean, my, I remember, I mean my, my grandmother, a couple, both of my grandmothers and, and, and my grandparents. I mean, I watched all four of them at different points. My parents' parents all pass away from this earth. All of them strong believers in God. Marked difference in them going home to be with the Lord than to watch someone who doesn't have a relationship with God. There's not peace. There's anxiety. There's fear. There's worry. Worry about my standing with God. But the gospel tells us that you can know. In 1 John, the the, the writer, John writes to believers and he says, I'm writing these things so that you'll know that you have eternal life. He's like, you can know that you have eternal life. Life actually that comes in his name. You can experience the peace of God 
you can experience this in this life, not just in a future life, a life apart from this. No, we long for his kingdom. We are gathering with people to worship this God, but like you can gather and your heart be far from him. You can gather here and like, and not know, and maybe some of you, you don't know what it's like to have a relationship with God. And you're like, I don't even know what really what you're talking about today. I'm a little confused. Maybe you're a little confused today. And I hope that's not the case, but if you are, man, it would be our joy and my joy personally to explain how you personally can have a relationship with God and experience this kind of joy and this kind of peace. Because it doesn't come with more money. It doesn't come with bigger houses. It doesn't come with more of a bigger family and more things. Like that will not give you peace. You might have some financial peace for a season or maybe for a life, but ultimately, you won't have peace. Heard recently, there was a, I can't remember his name right now off the top of my head because it just came to me, but I'd heard recently of a, um, a famous uh, chef who um, had taken his life, I think over in France, not too long, just a couple years ago. I mean, to think, I mean, here he is, he's a famous chef. Or you think of um, Robin Williams, someone who's hilarious. I mean, the guy was hilarious. The different movies, his, his stand-up comedy, all those things, and you're like, oh man, he's funny. Like, he's happy. But man, his heart wasn't happy. He was lost and he just couldn't find satisfaction in his life. And then ultimately he takes his life because he didn't have peace with God. He didn't experience joy in this life. And he, he didn't have any of it. And he's like, I can have it. And so he takes his life. Why would someone ever do that? Because they want peace and they think they'll find it. Peace ultimately in just death. But they're gonna wake up to a strong reality that they're not at peace with God in the afterlife for all of eternity separated from a holy God. Listen, you can experience peace with God and it will lead to an overflowing kind of joy that you, will, <laughs> you can only experience in Christ alone. But it is by faith in the Son of God, the one who was to come. The, the psalmist here, David, ultimately over and over again in the Psalms, he's talking about Jesus, the Messiah. He's talking about the Son of God. He's pointing ahead. Even in this Psalm, there's clues and hints of, of looking to the future, a longing for the kingdom of God a longing for peace to rule and reign in Jerusalem, inside of its city, to be in the presence of God, to experience fullness of joy there, all those things. But you can personally experience that in this life. The Bible tells us very simply this. It says that we are born and we come into this world dead in our trespasses, in our sin. And we can't clean ourselves up enough. We can't be good enough. We can't do enough. There's not enough things in this life that we can do to, to make God accept us. Like, hey, gee, God, I'm, I'm, I'm reading my Bible every day. I'm, I'm attending church now. I'm praying. I'm trying to talk to you. I'm like, I'm trying to do all these things. None of those things will give you a relationship with God. Ultimately, it is by faith in Christ alone. It is by grace you've been saved. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. That's the vehicle. The way that you get the grace of God is by faith in the Son of God. And when you put your faith in Christ alone for salvation, he, he literally accepts you. And he says, I will take you in to be in my family. And you get the inheritance that the son gets. You are my co-heirs with Jesus Christ, the son of God. When he rose from the dead, it is as if, if you by faith have put your faith in Jesus, it's as if you have risen to new life. That's the picture of baptism. Maybe some of you haven't ever been baptized before. You've put your faith in Jesus, but you've never, in, in a public display before people have been baptized before. That is just a picture of a death being put underwater, being buried with him in baptism and raised in his life, so in his resurrection life, to new life in Christ. 
Baptism doesn't save you, but it's a picture of what's happening, the transformation in your heart. And it comes through Christ alone. I mean, you can experience that personally. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. And you can have a peace that surpasses all understanding so that when trial comes, when difficulty, when hardship, when everything around you falls apart, you can still be overflowing with joy because there's something there that nothing can be taken from you. Your love, God's love for you can never be taken. That is the hope that we have is because of Christ. It's not a hope because of even what I've done, that I've prayed a prayer. No, my hope is in that what Christ has done on my behalf, and I've put all, I've gone all in with him. Say, God, you have my life. I surrender it to you. And this is how you can experience peace with God. And this is the kind of joy that we see the psalmist have. But here's the cool part. You can experience it too. The importance of gathering together in joyful praise and worship of God, to experience his presence to see him through his word and to study it and apply it to our lives, to long for a kingdom that where perfect justice reigns and righteousness rules and experience the peace of God with him. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for this just little short psalm. I wasn't even sure at first when I first read it a few times, even wanted to really preach it. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to say. God, I thank you that your word is powerful. Um, that it is applicable to us in our lives, and I thank you so much um, for this psalm. I pray as, as a people we would not neglect the gathering together to worship you, the living God. And so, Father, help us. Uh, we are, you know, we might be a mess. And maybe there's someone in this room who's saying, I, I, I hear what you're saying, Eric, but I I don't know, I don't, I don't know what that's like, or I want to have this peace, but I'm not sure what to do. I pray, God, that you will draw them to yourself, that you'll open their eyes to their need of the gospel, the saving work of Christ alone for salvation, and they'll put their trust in you today. But maybe you'll give them the courage to talk to someone, talk to me or another person in this room to, to ask, how can I have a relationship with God and experience this kind of peace and this kind of joy? The Bible tells us in this world you will have trouble. It's a sad reality because of the brokenness of our sinful, broken world. But you said the rest of that verse, God, you didn't just say in this world you're going to have trouble, so good luck. But you said, take heart, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We can have hope and our heart can be secure and our peace, we can experience this kind of peace because you have overcome death sin and death and that you because you are alive today we too can be alive for all of eternity in your presence enjoying the worship of god I long for this day god help us to long for it to pursue it and help us to experience this kind of peace and this kind of joy in our lives today in jesus name amen